Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. One of the thoughts that I kept coming back to while working on my episodes on multitasking was what it really meant to be multitasking. I settled on using the idea of doing two cognitive tasks at the same time, but that left me with another quandary. What about when I'm doing one thing and just thinking about doing something else? Surely just thinking about something else wouldn't count as multitasking. But still, there have absolutely been times when I've been thinking about something else and found myself getting engrossed in my thoughts, losing track of conversations or what I was doing. Clearly, my thoughts can play a big role in what I'm doing, and if my focus is on something else, then it certainly isn't here in the present. Today, we're going to explore what our brain is doing here, how our thoughts can kind of run away with us. We'll also be looking at hyperfocus and then bringing those two ideas together and seeing what we can do about it. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash wanderingmind. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know about the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group's upcoming registration event on Thursday, June 16th at 11 a.m. Central for their summer 2022 session. To register, just go to coachingrewired.com and get your name on the interest list by clicking the teal button. This podcast is part of the greater ADHD Rewired network, and so if you haven't heard of these groups before, let me give you a little insight about them. The coaching and accountability groups are an intensive 10-week-long program where you meet three times a week for an hour to help coach you through the ups and downs of life with ADHD. I went through these coaching groups back in their 11th season and can confidently say that without having gone through this program, I would not have been able to start this podcast. These groups gave me a chance to really dive in deep on how my ADHD was affecting my life and then putting into practice those things I needed to do to get myself to do the things I already wanted to be doing. While a lot of the coaching is structured around learning how to do things like better manage your time, the groups also explore that emotional and more cerebral side of things that really make a difference, because we all know buying a new calendar isn't going to be the game changer we want it to be. So if you're interested or you've been thinking about it for a while, Go sign up to get some more information at the upcoming registration event on Thursday, June 16th at 11 a.m. Central. Just go to coachingrewired.com. That link again is coachingrewired.com. All right, keep on listening to find out all the things that absolutely blew my mind while I was researching this episode. Seriously, I had some stuff that really made me reassess what I knew about HAHD. So, uh, keep on listening. Mind-wandering is a fairly common condition with ADHD. Our thoughts can kind of just take over and lead us away from what we are doing. I've certainly had my fair share of listening to podcasts and finding myself getting caught up on something, and then five minutes later realizing that the podcast was still playing, and I have no idea what they were talking about. A big part of this is what's known as the default mode network. Let's get a little neurosciencey here. Brain networks are a collection of brain regions that activate together to perform various cognitive functions. By having these regions of the brain fire together, we can then create more complex functions. For example, our vision requires a number of regions of the brain to fire together to create what we see. 
Before I get too far here, I also want to mention that the default mode network is still fairly recent science. While some of the ideas about the default mode network go as far back as 1929, it didn't really get a name until 2001. Although research has been piling up in support of the network, there are still some scientists that believe that these brain states can be explained with simpler ideas. But as more of the large-scale brain networks have been discovered, it leads more credence to the idea of the default mode network. With that said, the default mode network is another one of these large-scale brain networks, and it's primarily active when someone is in a wakeful resting state. So it's what's active when we're doing things like daydreaming or letting our mind wander. And it's inversely correlated to another network called the task-positive network, which is associated with the regions of the brain that are active when we're engaging with attention-demanding tasks. What this means is that when we're engaged with a task, is that we should see less activation in our default mode network. And this is true, at least with neurotypicals. As we've all experienced, this is not the case for ADHD. Our default mode network doesn't have that same inverse relationship to the task-positive network. This is why it's so easy for us to get pulled away in our thoughts when we're doing something else. Our brain simply hasn't disengaged the parts that let our focus wander. There are even some scientists that believe that this decoupling of networks is a better metric to explain the symptoms and impairment of ADHD. I'm not sure I'd go that far, but I do think it explains a ton about how our brain works and why we do some of the things we do. Now, this isn't to say that our wandering minds are all bad. Some of the characteristics that are most admired about ADHD like our creativity and our ability to connect ideas, are features of the default mode network. There is some evidence that letting our minds wander enhances our creativity. This is also related to divergence thinking, which is about fully exploring ideas, creating unexpected connections, and spontaneity. I don't know about you, but that sounds fairly ADHD to me. A common divergent thinking assessment is the alternate use task, which is where participants are asked to find novel uses for common objects. For example, a participant might be asked to come up with alternate uses for a fork. So we might come up with things like a catapult, a musical instrument, you know, the twang in the tines, maybe a drumstick. We could dip it in paint and use it to create interesting designs. It could be an elf javelin, or we could use it as a tool to carve designs in the sand. It's a fork, but we can use it for a multitude of other things. And this kind of thinking is super common with ADHD. If we don't have the right tool at hand, we just find something that will work instead. Sometimes to disastrous results. Really, by now, I should have really learned that a knife makes a terrible screwdriver. And it's through these processes that we make better connections to other ideas. Because when we're looking at how something works in a different way, we can also see how it might connect to something in a different way. So it may be that our creativity and ability to connect ideas comes from our brain's aberrant regulation within the default mode network. But I want to be clear here. I'm not a neuroscientist, and this is a bit of speculation at this point. While it does feel like it explains a lot to me, there's still a lot more science that needs to be done. Now, I want to jump on the other side of this wandering mind idea. What we have here is hyperfocus. This is where we get so caught up in something that we kind of tune out the rest of the world. We may not hear other people talking. We might not notice we have to use the bathroom. We're just keyed in on this one thing. 
Now, real quick here, I also want to mention that there isn't a ton of research to hyperfocus. And then, even in a lot of research, hyperfocus itself isn't well-defined. It's often assumed that the reader knows what it is. This has led to a lot of confusion about what hyperfocus is and isn't. Additionally, there are plenty of neurotypical productivity tips to get us into hyperfocus, although what they're usually talking about is flow. We'll get more into that in a bit. We can start off with the fact that hyperfocus is often thought of as being antithetical to ADHD. We're supposed to have an attention deficit, right? But as we all know, ADHD is fairly poorly named. It isn't that we have no attention, it's that we have trouble with where we focus that attention. We can think of hyperfocus similar to how we think about stimulant medication. When we're taking those meds, we're supplying our brain with enough stimulation that it can focus on what we want it to. With hyperfocus, we can only focus on things that we're really interested in, and that's because those things are turning on our brains and giving us that same kind of stimulation. We see hyperfocus on a lot of things that are highly stimulating. One of the most common ones is video games. I know I'm particularly guilty of letting myself get drawn into games and kind of just letting the rest of the world fall away. Of course, hyperfocus isn't all bad, and it can also draw us into more productive endeavors. One of the big questions about hyperfocus, though, is if it's an ADHD superpower. I'm a little wishy-washy on this because I'm not really into the whole ADHD superpower idea. It can be really detrimental to those who are struggling with their ADHD. So to answer that question, we're going to need to consider what we're hyper-focusing on, and this is because often we're not in control of what we really tune into. If I'm hyper-focused on playing video games, well, that's not the best. But if I'm hyper-focused on writing, that could be a good thing. But what if I miss a meeting because I didn't notice how much time had passed? Or what if I forgot to have lunch and now I'm really cranky and decide the best course of action is to eat an entire pizza? Well, now I'm just cranky and greasy. Hyperfocus can have real negative consequences to a lot of other areas of our lives. Our productivity doesn't exist in a vacuum. That is, it doesn't just matter how we get things done. There are a lot of other factors to consider. Take that writing example. There have been plenty of times when a particular topic has really engaged me and I just start going with it. But sometimes that topic isn't what I'm supposed to be working on that week. That's fine some of the time, but if I'm getting close to my deadline, that can be a real problem. It can also mean that I'm going over my allotted writing time, and that means I'm going to have to move things around later in the week. Again, this is fine sometimes, but other times it means cutting into the time I'm supposed to be spending with my family. And sure, they'll understand, but if I do that too much, that's going to be damaging to our relationship. I don't want my kids growing up thinking that my work is more important than they are. On the other hand, hyperfocus can really let us get into that deep work mentality and create some amazing stuff. It's very similar to the idea of flow, the idea of when you're working and feeling in the zone. The big difference between the two is that flow is more of an optional state. Certainly as they share characteristics of this all-consuming focus and creativity, but with hyperfocus, we're no longer the ones driving the bus. Also, the brakes on the bus have been cut, and there ain't no stopping. This is super frustrating at times. I don't want to completely rain on the hyperfocus parade. There are people who can take great advantage of the state. As I've said, it can be very rewarding when we get into hyperfocus and are able to create something in a few hours that might take others weeks to complete. Often it's associated with meeting deadlines, like when you've put off writing an essay until four hours before it's due. Getting into hyperfocus is what lets you complete that without getting distracted. 
Nonetheless, we need to be mindful about letting ourselves slip into that hyperfocus. For example, sometimes I like to play video games in the evening. It's not the best habit, but it's usually the only time I really have an opportunity for it. I also don't want to let my games keep me from getting to bed on time. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this idea. You're doing a fun activity in the evening, and it's really the only time you get to yourself, so you try and stretch it out. Some people call this revenge bedtime procrastination. And with ADHD, we can hit that hyperfocus train, and we get stuck and end up never going to sleep. I used to use alarms on my phone to try and get out of this, but those are easy to ignore when you're keyed in on something. Easy enough to just click off. So I took a page from my automation episode and set up my office lights to start dimming at 9, and then shut off completely at 9.15. I'm going to be honest, I was sure that dimming the lights were going to be enough of a cue for me, but half the time the lights shut off and catch me completely off guard. Usually that's enough to shake me out of my fixation, though. And that's the key to the hyperfocus dilemma. Since we're unable to make ourselves switch off when it's time to stop, we need external cues. Strong ones. These are often best as automated ones, but getting help from family and friends can also work. Just try not to bite their head off when they interrupt you, and remind them that it might take a couple tries to really get your attention. On the outset, hyperfocus and the default mode network might seem like strange topics to bundle together but they both very much deal with how our brains focus, and to me, the two ideas seem very intertwined. In many ways, ADHD is a condition of extremes. Either we're all in, or we're all out. We tend not to do things in half measures, for better or for worse. And this applies to our ability to focus. The default mode network definitely plays a hand in this. Our inability to turn off our mind-wandering means that we're often stuck going from one idea to the next. On the other side of the spectrum, though, we have hyperfocus where we're unable to shake ourselves of that same focus. Part of the key of both the issue of having too little focus and having too much focus is that we're often pushing ourselves too hard. One of the pitfalls of hyperfocus is that we can overexert ourselves of our valuable stores of executive function. We come out of hyperfocus realizing that we haven't eaten or taken any breaks, and we need time to recover from this. Just take the example of using hyperfocus to finish up an essay right before it's due. After you finish the essay, you feel drained. And I know in these situations, I usually can't get anything done the next day. Sure, we get a lot done, but it's a double-edged sword. What this means is that if we're planning on using our hyperfocus to complete a project, we also need to plan recovery time appropriately. But that's hard. We tend not to know when hyperfocus is really going to kick in. Sure, there are times I know when I'm more likely to get into that space, but it can also be hit or miss, and that's not great for being regularly productive. Our other solution is that we want to be planning more breaks into our work sessions, so we know that we are breaking out of what we're doing. As I mentioned earlier, we need to make sure that we're not just skipping those breaks because, well, I'm on a roll now, I could just keep going. There are a few things that we can do here that really help our adherence to these breaks. One of the easiest is using Pomodoros, where you're working 20 minutes and then taking a 5-minute break. There are a ton of tools out there that can help you time out these work sessions, but a great way to get our ADHD brains to switch gears is by having a Pomodoro playlist. Many of us with ADHD work well with music, and so what we can do is set up a playlist that plays one style of music for 20 minutes, and then after 5 minutes, switches for something different. 
I tend to listen to a lot of synthwave while I'm working, so I can put a few of those songs together that run for about 20 minutes, and then I'll have five minutes with something with lyrics, or maybe something classical. Music has a big effect on our mood, and so switching that style of music can really shift us when we need that shift, and it's a great way to grab our attention. But pomodoros don't work for everything. The 20-minute sprints don't work well for how I write, for example. So I actually spend my writing time in larger chunks, usually about 90 minutes, and then take longer breaks after that. There's actually some science here about working with your ultradian rhythms, so you're slowing down at some more natural points in your energy cycle. But there are two keys here. First is that if you work for a 90-minute block, it is imperative that you actually take that break. And secondly, that I can't stack too many of these 90-minute blocks in a single day. Really, just two or three at the most. For me, the rest of my day tends to get carved up more naturally with activities with the kids, but if I'm not taking those breaks and I'm overcommitting on how much I'm doing, then usually by 3 p.m. I'm completely shot and my tank is running on empty. We also have to consider what we're doing on these breaks, because if I'm writing and then decide for my break I'm just going to do some email, well, that's not really a break. Okay, well, I'll jump on Facebook. Also not really a break. I'm still on the computer. I'm still staring at my screen. When we're taking breaks, we want to give our brains some time to unfocus. And this is where we can purposely engage the default mode network. Specifically, what we're looking for is positive constructive daydreaming. And that's where we're letting our minds wander, but guided. We're simply trying to direct our wandering mind in a positive direction. When we do this, we can improve our focus, creativity, and self-awareness. It also helps us envision our future and prepare for it. There are a few keys to help you along with your positive constructive daydreaming. The first of which is to kind of plan what you're going to be daydreaming about. I know, that doesn't sound fun. Plan daydreams. But just think of it in the loosest terms. We're just giving directions here, not planning the destination. Think of it like choosing a new hiking trail rather than just tromping off into the forest. And to add to this, we've also got to understand that not all daydreaming is created equally. If I'm ruminating on that time in the second grade when I stole some pogs out of some other kid's desk and wondering if that makes me a bad person, but that's not helpful. When we're daydreaming at meetings, it isn't helpful. And so that's what we gain when we're doing this planning. We're taking the reins and giving more direction to when these daydreams happen instead of just waiting for opportunities when we're bored. When we engage our daydreams, we want to turn our attention inward. This means that we're going to, again, want to remove all these external distractions. We're not trying to distract ourselves with music or podcasts. We're just letting our brains go. A lot of my day is going from one distraction to the next. I'm listening to music while driving my car. I've got a podcast going while I'm out for a walk. I'm watching Netflix while I'm eating my lunch. But in this instance... I'm choosing my brain to let me take it where it wants to go instead of trying to drown it out with all this other noise. This process can also be helped by doing something low-key that doesn't engage too much of our cognitive function. Think taking a walk, knitting, playing with Legos, doodling, or maybe doing some coloring. One issue I always have with ADHD is that sitting still and doing nothing just does not work for me. My brain goes into overdrive trying to find stimulation. But if I have a light task to do, it's much easier for me to relax into and let my mind wander. Does every one of our breaks need to be a mind-wandering session? Absolutely not. But when we give our brains the chance to explore on their own, we tend to have fewer intrusive thoughts throughout the day. Similar exercise to this is called morning pages, 
And this is basically a simple journaling exercise where you write a couple of pages out in the morning to clear your head of everything swirling around up there. By giving voice to these thoughts, we can let go of them and move on to the things that we really want to pay attention to. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go, though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. 1. The default mode network is a collection of brain regions that are responsible for daydreaming, mind-wandering, and are primarily active in our wakeful resting state. 2. In neurotypical brains, the default mode network disengages when we start working on task-specific work. This relationship doesn't hold up in ADHD brains, and is why we can drift off in thought while trying to do complex tasks. 3. Hyperfocus is when our concentration engages so much that we kind of tune out the rest of the world. It can be a double-edged sword, however, because we can also miss cues to eat, use the bathroom, overuse our executive functions, and leave us feeling completely drained when we come out of it. 4. We can help both our default mode network and our hyperfocus by taking more breaks throughout the day. We can go further by using those breaks for positive constructive daydreaming where we let our mind wander with purpose. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, just go to hackingyouradhd.com slash wanderingmind. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can leave me a message over at hackingyouradhd.com slash contact. You can also reach me on Twitter at hackingyouradhd, and I've also just launched a TikTok channel that you can find by searching for hackingyouradhd. If you'd like links or to read this episode's transcript, you can find those on the show notes page at hackingyouradhd.com slash hard things. If you'd like to support the podcast, the best way is to share episodes with someone you think would get something out of it. Just click the share button on your podcast player and send your bestie the link with something like, hey, I love this episode of Hacking Your ADHD. I'd bet you'd get a lot out of it too. Or you can support the show through my Patreon at hackingyouradhd.com Patreon. Sign up for the 2, 5, 10, 25, or even $50 a month level and get some great perks like monthly bonus content or early access to upcoming episodes. That's hackingyouradhd.com slash Patreon. And be sure to check out all the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out Eric Tiver's show, ADHD Rewired. For those of you with kids, be sure to check out Brendan Mahan's show, ADHD Essentials. And even if you don't have kids, his show is still a great resource for ADHD management. If you're interested in exploring issues of race and diversity in ADHD, be sure to check out ADHD Diversified with MJ. I also do a live Q&A with all the hosts of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network on the second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to sign up, just go to ADHDRewired.com slash events. And now for your moment of dad. Why do fishermen do so well in geometry? It's because they tend to be good anglers. Anglers.